0: What's up coaches? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that specializes in securing lower rates for health-conscious people, including strength trainers, runners, and cyclists among others. Just like saving money on car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ believes you should save on your life insurance for living a healthy lifestyle. This is the reason that 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. These savings are exclusive to Health IQ. The reason they are able to save their customers up to 33% is because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease and a 20% lower risk of cancer compared to the people that are inactive. To qualify for these rates, head to healthiq.com slash runthepower and take their health, cycling, or running IQ quiz. Or, if you're like me and work out using an app, you can submit that certified app's data to Health IQ to qualify. Once you qualify, Health IQ doesn't just send your offer to an insurer. It takes you through the journey from when you submit interest to starting your application and going through underwriting and policy-enforced. Policy is underwritten by one of their top partners, an insurer. Coaches, go to healthiq.com slash runthepower to qualify to save up to 33% on your life insurance. Again, that's healthiq.com slash runthepower power. take your free quiz to qualify for up to 33% savings on your life insurance with Health IQ. This episode is also sponsored by Amazon's audiobook platform, Audible. Audible is a monthly subscription for audiobooks. They've worked with us and are giving you coaches one month of their subscription site and an audiobook of your choice absolutely free. All you got to do is go to rtpbook.com and sign up for Audible. They'll give you an audiobook and a free month subscription upon sign-up. You can cancel at any time before paying a dollar and still keep the audiobook as a gift from them. Audible has top-selling audiobooks that are great for coaches. Right now I'm listening to Gary Vaynerchuk's Ask Gary and Sam Sheridan's A Fighter's Mind. They're my morning workouts, and they've both been tremendous books so far. It's great for me because when you're a coach, you have very limited time to sit down and read, so you can really multitask with Audible, and it's a great changeup for me from listening to music while I work out. Again, go to rtpbook.com to claim the free audiobook of your choice. Head over to the RTP store. We have two designs as t-shirts, long sleeves, and hoodies. We have our Run the Power and our Will Block for Food designs available. Go get yours today under the store tab at runthepower.com. Now you can run the power in any weather. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Go check them out at their website, teamattackacademy.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Pat Baker, current linebackers coach at Kirkwood High School in Kirkwood, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis. Kirkwood and Coach Baker won the Missouri Class 6A state championship in 2016. Prior to Kirkwood, Coach Baker has had a long and varied background in the game of football, working in many capacities at many different levels. Listen as we talk to Coach Baker about working for coaches like Dean Pease at Kent State and Randy Walker at Northwestern. Coach Baker also discusses his great friendship with Josh Boyer, defensive back coach for the New England Patriots, and some great insight into working for Coach Belichick. Finally, Coach Baker tells us about the similarities and differences in high school football working in states like Ohio, where he coached and grew up in Georgia. You can follow Coach Baker on Twitter at PepperLeach3. Hope you guys enjoy.
1: Well, we're on here with uh with coach Baker coach Baker's a, a good buddy of mine uh he and I actually lived together in uh Sioux Falls South Dakota for a year we both uh GA and coached at Augustana under uh Brad Salem who's now up at, at Michigan State um and he got you know Baker got a chance to work on the defensive side with with Mike Aldrich but Bakes you've been a lot of places man I know uh I I kind of met you in, in South Dakota you know through your connections you were obviously over at South Dakota School of Mines but you know, give our, our listeners a little background, all the different places you've been. I know your dad was a was a head coach and a football coach back in Ohio, and you're an original, you know, cradle of coaches Ohio guy. So I'll kind of let you tell us about your, your story in coaching.
2: Well, I'm uh, you know, real lucky to be born in Ohio, a place uh, where football is a real important thing So the state. Like you said, my dad was a high school coach, and uh, when I went to college uh, – that time, I was 5'9", 150. You know, I'd like to be that now, but but uh, age has taken over. So, wasn't big, wasn't fast, and there wasn't a lot of market for 5'9", 150-pound guards. So, I uh, chose to go to the University of Dayton, and uh, my dad encouraged me to become a student assistant coach. And I uh, really hooked on with that program. And those of you who uh, follow uh, small college football... Dayton's really one of the winningest programs in the last 40 years in college football, and a great opportunity to learn from those guys. I actually originally started helping with the offensive line. So was a student assistant, we didn't have GAs at that time, so we assumed a lot of the GA responsibilities at that time. So calling cards, doing film, you know, helping with practice, helping uh, run the scout team, all those things. Actually, the other guy I was with, at that time, Dave Lippincott, a linebacker coach for the Raiders. So, uh, have guys go on from that program. But really, really neat thing. Really learned a lot from that. Uh, from there, this could take a while because I've been a lot of places. So, I'm going to edit some of this
1: I was, was going to say, you can just hit the highlights, Bakes, because you've found you've <laughs> the frequent flyer miles, man.
2: Yeah. So, I'll, I'll hit the highlights there. So from there, uh, my first job – college football was at Northwestern as a recruiting assistant. And it was just kind of one of those things that I applied for and was shocked that they called me back. So it wasn't a coaching position, but it was a great learning experience as far as looking at the operation side of things, how recruiting works, things that my football program go from there. That was with
1: Randy Walker, right?
2: Yeah, this Randy Walker, who's a great motivator, great coach. Uh, you know, those guys on his staff were with him forever. They loved them. They all came from Miami, Ohio together. And really, he doesn't probably get enough credit for revolutionizing offensive football. You know, Northwestern was the first team to really run the ball, the spread. Not the first team, probably, but they were the ones who kind of brought attention to it. <clears throat> Uh, from there, I went to North Park University in Chicago and uh, was a DB coach there for a year at a Division III school. And uh, like most Division III schools, you do every job known a man. I was the equipment manager. I was uh SID. I was uh, the academic coordinator, recruited uh, North Side of Chicago. Uh, any job they could throw at me, I did. So great learning experience. From there... Through University of Dayton connection, uh, I got to be a GA at Kent State with uh, Josh Boyer and Dean Pease. Uh, Dean Pease just recently took the defensive coordinator job with the Tennessee Titans. I'd been with the uh, Patriots and uh, the Ravens prior to that. Then Josh Boyer, who's the DB coach for the Patriots, or the corner special for the Patriots now, and just saw him on Sunday. Got was fortunate enough to go for the Super Bowl. and That was a really – it's a great experience to learn how to break down a film, what goes into defensive game planning, what a G, the GA life of, hey, you're going to work 20 hours a day and make about three cents an hour. So <laughs> this is worth it. You know, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but, man, there were some tired nights in there sometimes. <clears throat> like, man, I got to break down another film.
1: Well, those guys, they grind uh, you pretty hard then. I mean, I guess with, you know, I guess we can talk about Coach Pease and, and Boyer. I mean, those guys like to put in a lot of hours or expect that stuff, or was that just something that you kind of, you know, just enjoyed? I know, I know working with you, you didn't mind breaking down film and, and burning the midnight oil. It was
2: both. You know, we had kind of a unique situation there when I was at Kent. So uh, Mike Drake had been our defensive back coach, who's probably one of the greatest guys who ever coached football. I mean, just really a great guy. But he had uh, gotten cancer that spring. So Josh at the time was a GA, but really wasn't officially, but he slid in the full time role of coaching defensive backs. And when I took the job, Dean you know, needed a video GA. He needed kind of a guy to do everything video GA, all that thing to take some of that stuff off Josh's plate. So what he, I went up there to interview. He said, I'll never forget these he says to me. He's like, uh, I can't offer you any great experience. You know, I appreciate that honesty. So I went up there at Kent State. I had no guarantee of making any money. Showed up all summer, did everything I asked, worked my butt off, and then they ended up finding $2,000 for me. I thought it was like $200,000 at the time. <laughs> So, but uh, a lot of it was – so I did the video. I was doing a lot of the defensive GA stuff. Then uh, when Josh left, I transitioned to the offensive GA. But a lot of fun, a lot of work, but didn't mind doing it at all. But really just that – they kind of throw you in a room and I break down the film and, and uh, you did this right, you didn't do this right, and it was great learning.
1: Where'd you head from there, then? But uh, was that when you guys went from uh, from Kent State to uh, South Dakota Tech?
2: We went to South Dakota Tech, and we're there. And uh, challenging. That's when I learned about an academic environment. You know, kids that can play college football that are engineers and uh, deep in talent are are uh, are not very common. So, really, Josh was the coordinator at that time. Boyer, I was. Uh, defensive line coach and man we really had to coach our butt off to this couple you know we're coming up with a different scheme every week and trying to find something and the biggest compliment we got during that year we go up to play mary at that time and mary's the nai power back in those days <clears throat> yeah they were really and, good uh, oh they were great it ran a bunch of power just could run the ball and physical and i did the video at that time and i had to go get something from their uh, video guy after the game he's like man you guys were so hard to prepare for you you keep with it you guys are going to be good so that made us feel good to know that one of the better teams in the league was saying at least we were hard to prepare for even if the results didn't show up on the field at that time <clears throat> um from there i went back to ohio for a year and had my first experience in high school at fairmont high school and uh outside dayton ohio uh kids defensive backs uh good experiences to see what high school is like, you know, led me back to the conclusion that I want to go back to college. So that's kind of really, really for the first time in my career, really kind of looking for a job. You know, everything I'd had in my life, to everything job I'd had to that point had been, you know, Josh and Boyer and I kind of followed each other around, and, you know, it's kind of guys that I knew. So, you know, Back in Football Scoop's infancy, I saw Augustana had a job. Like, So I applied out there and found out you know, Brad Salem had been a GA at Michigan State when Dean Pease was the defensive coordinator there.
0: So set my stuff in, and
2: <clears throat> Brad called me back, and kind of the rest is history.
0: Coach, and- just sorry to interrupt, <coughs> but what, what's it like to um, kind of take that step you know out of your comfort zone, because I'm sure there's a lot of coaches out there um, that that would kind of like to move on or, or move up, but they're a little bit nervous to to get out of their comfort zone away from people that they've been around for a while and, and join a new group of people. What was your kind of you know how, how did you deal with that or how did you decide to make that leap?
2: I just you know roll the dice and see what happens well what's the worst thing that happened? you have a, another experience, learn something new and you know, I one out there and, you know, in some ways it wasn't a great fit. In some ways it was a great fit, you know, looking back on it and probably should have stayed longer, meeting Walls. Walls and I were kind of kindred spirits from the beginning. The first night I met him, he had a big Lebowski shirt on, so uh, <laughs> I figured it was going to be a good relationship from there.
1: So <clears> – <throat> That, that was honestly, so, I remember that, you know, we'd, we'd met the first time over, over at Coach Salem's deal, and you could just kind of tell, like, all right, this will be a guy I, I can get along with, because, you know, a lot like, you know, Harper and I now kind of being partners on the podcast and working together, you know, Har- Bakes was one of those dudes that you, you would have liked immediately, because you could tell he loved football, and then once, you, you know, you've kind of heard his story, and he's been all these places, you know, he's done a lot of these things, because he flat out loves ball and you're hanging out. I mean, that's, that's what you were talking. We were talking about ball. We're talking about having fun stories, things we've done, but I mean, that was one of the things I liked about him, you know, and and he said it himself. He he wasn't scared, you know, <laughs> Yeah, he, he'd he'd move, he'd move anywhere, man. He didn't care. <laughs> I was kind of the same way I'd, I'd done the same thing. You know, you're just kind of just searching for some of that football nirvana, you know, I mean, well, that's, was...
2: that's exactly it. You know, I was i an all football guy. I still am to that point, you know, God, where can I just do football all day? And <clears throat> we did football I for sure. Didn't we?
1: Oh, dude, we, we did football. I think, I think you know, we, we'd figured it out and you know, he said three cents an hour. I think that's, that's exaggerating. You know, there, there was, there was child, <laughs> there should have been child labor laws for some of the <laughs> hours and things we had to put out. But, you know, at the same time, you know, you, you can laugh about it and make fun about it now, but, You know, that first paycheck we got, I saw, I'll remember that number for the rest of my life, 524 (laughs) bucks. And I remember stapling it to my freaking wall in there. And that was like my motivation. I'm like, you know what? I'm doing this for 524 bucks a month. And how many hats were we wearing within that program? But dude, we, I mean, we had a blast. We got to learn so much football. We got to to break down so much film, you know, for me, it was a, it was a beginning too. You know, I'd never coached offensive line before and it was a chance to work with a guy like Evenson who also hadn't coached offensive line. I mean, we got to sit in in his office and just watch film after film after film and, and kind of figure some of these things out together. You know, you can't put a price on that experience.
2: You know, really, Mike Aldrich is one of the underrated minds in football in this country. I mean, the amount of stuff I learned from that guy about football, you can't put a price on that either. It's just invaluable you know I still use stuff that I learned from him to this day so you know despite the uh lack of finances despite Ole blowing his air horn in my face when I'd fall asleep it was definitely worth it. It was definitely worth it I forgot about that one <laughs> more than once <laughs> it
1: was, that was more than once I think the other the other time I think the the uh I've never seen a human being get quite as mad as you did a few times in the office <laughs> when maybe you had to go back and maybe you had to go back and reprint some of those uh I don't know if they're what postcards or cards you know I think there's a few a few things, you know, Harp, where they give you some jobs that you had to do that you're like, what does this have to do with winning football games? <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, you know, okay, hey, today you guys are coming with me and you're going to have to hang up uh, pictures in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, it gave right, you, right. gives you a great appreciation for, you know, the, the, the stuff that, you know, you end up do kind of taking for granted later on.
2: But, you know, to that fact, was a little bit younger and probably a little bit more wound up during those days, but you appreciate the attention to detail looking back on it now.
1: Oh, no question. So, yeah.
2: it was, uh, you know, to that, you know, about one of my weaknesses, details like that are definitely my weakness. My wife put up some, uh, curtains the other day. It took me a week to notice. So, you know, <laughs> so I'll put great. that on the podcast for the world to hear. <laughs>
1: Well, I'd say my other favorite part about Augustana too was the uh, actually, you know, a lot of guys are like, they don't look forward to the recruiting weekends because it kind of cuts into, you know, your, your GA weekend. You and I kind of took the opposite uh, attitude because when we got to do the recruiting weekends, that means that you and I got a free vehicle for the weekend. So we could <laughs> always take the recruiting vans and we didn't have to pay for gas for that weekend.
2: Which was a big win for us. In- you know, Doctor Don. Doctor Don Pearson always reminds me of that when I
1: still speak to him. For
2: well, we'll just leave it at that.
1: You guys aren't taking the recruiting vans out again, are you?
2: <laughs> you guys hitting the town? Your your eyes look like uh, your eyes look like road masks.
1: Oh, we had some blasts. All right, so where did you go yeah. from there, then, Bakes?
2: Uh, went to the St. Louis area. Uh, my roommate from college, Matt Macy, now the athletic director and offensive coordinator and Sonia High School in Ohio, had, uh, been the offensive line coach there, so I'd kind of known those guys, and just kind of the staff that I really felt comfortable with.
1: Those, those are the guys there, that McKen- uh, out of McKendry, right?
2: Yeah, McKendry in Lebanon, Illinois, And um... Uh, yep about 25 miles from East downtown St. Louis. Yep. So, <clears throat> strong, strong NAI program, now Division II program. You know, work for a guy named Carl Pelker who won 200 games as a college football coach. But, uh, you know, the thing Coach Pelker was so good at was keeping things in perspective and making football fun. That staff, those kids and Coach Pelker, we had more fun coaching football, being around football, than any staff have ever been around. And that is really his perspective, you know, while we love football, you know, it is a big part of our life. It wasn't life or death. Yeah. We were successful that way. Really, really kind of a different approach. You know, we didn't come in on Sundays. You know, he would – funny thing, the whole study did about once a year – He'd be. I would walk into practice. He's like, "We're gonna kick him out of practice at 4:30." What do you mean? Well, we gonna. We want to save their legs, but really, we're just gonna act pissed off at him. So <laughs> he would lose his mind, kick everybody out of practice. Like, get yeah, saving their legs, saving their legs.
1: I've actually seen a few coaches do that. I remember uh, uh, Bobby Hurley's dad had done that a few times. He'd say it was like it was like in the playoffs. Like, I don't know if you if you've watched one of his specials and he'd do the same. He's got you know the best team in America basketball wise. And it's like the semifinals in New Jersey and he just blows up, kicks them all. He's like, yeah, I was going to kick him out anyway. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so from
2: there, I, uh, I, uh, got my teaching certificate. Finally, kind of got my life together <laughs> and, uh, coach Pelker retired and, uh, they brought in a new staff to McHenry, So, uh, you know, was kind of forced to look for work and, uh, through a connection at I ended up down at Woodstock, Georgia. So, a guy named Chuck Buddy, who was a uh, high school coach in Illinois, then went down to Georgia, was best friends with Coach Pelker. His son, Brent Buddy, was the head coach at Woodstock, Georgia. And I ended up going down there, getting a teaching job, taught high school English, and coached, uh, actually coached on the offensive side of the ball down there, wide receivers. So, that was a great experience as far as. We had just switched to, like, a spread offense, the Noel Mazzoni end zone stuff, and uh, learning that side of the ball. And, you know, Brent Buddy is an offensive guy, a football coach is as sharp as a guy as I've ever been around. That guy can see the field. It's unbelievable, because I was the guy in the headset. I'd tell him something, and he'd see it right away and call a play, and it worked 99% of the time So, Just a great football family in this – Georgia was a lot like Ohio in the uh, importance of football and, uh, and being a part of the culture and just all the great players we saw down there. You know, we were kind of a middle of the road league probably at that point, but you see an SEC school, you see a guy going to an SEC school every week. It was unbelievable. So yeah.
1: it's a big time ball down uh, there.
2: Yeah, uh, if you're looking for ball players, go down to Georgia. <laughs> Uh, from there I had my first opportunity to be a defensive coordinator at Missouri Baptist university, uh, was there for a year. And, uh, Matt Macy comes back in the picture again and says, Hey, there's a head coaching job in Ohio. Uh, you know, I think you need a guy to do that. So I went to Mississippi Ballet high school in beautiful and scenic union city, Ohio, uh, <laughs> population about 2000, uh, was there for a year 'cause uh in my genius, I left my girlfriend back in St Louis was at Miss Valley ballet for seven months, and decided, man, hey, that's think I'll get engaged <laughs> that's how it so it works, uh, man, yeah, you know well we've traveled that same path didn't we walls we have so uh so uh you know my wife uh Saint Louis native coach's daughter. Uh, was not moving to Ian City, Ohio. So, <laughs> I don't blame her. Yeah. She, uh, she was not down with that uh, prospect. So at that point, you know, kind of forced back into the job market, uh, looking for jobs, looking for jobs. And uh, Kirkwood High School, which uh, in Missouri is one of kind of the blue buds of football here in the state of Missouri, had an opening. And uh, so I sent my resume to Coach Shelton, Farrell Shelton, who's our head coach here. And, you know, Willie was kind of shocked to hear back. So he calls me and says, Hey, we got an opening and uh, we'd love to have you. He's like, You know, we kind of said, you know, I'll, I work as a paraprofessional with a special education student. So he got me set up with that. And uh, going on to my third year here, and can't say enough about Coach Shelton, you know. He's as sharp as a defensive guy as you'll ever be around. I'm including Dean Pease and Josh Boyer in that. The stuff I learned from that guy about breaking down film and attention to detail. You know, he'll call each other on Saturday he's like, "Hey, did you see the quarterback's feet?" And like at first I'm like, "This guy's unbelievable." Just little stuff like that. You know, picking up tendencies. You know, the receiver is leaning this way. The stuff he can see. He's like a savant. I'm, Real fortunate to have worked with him the last couple of years. You know, 2016 we're fortunate to, have to win a state championship nine and two season this last year, and uh, you know we'll be loaded for bear to get another one coming up here in 2018.
0: Coach, I'm curious because I'm one of the few coaches on the podcast that haven't coached in college. Um, what's the big difference, or do you see much of a difference in coaching a kid that's in in college playing football um, compared to? Coaching high school kids, maybe not even skill wise, just um you know, just on on that different level.
2: Uh in, in high school, I think there is a more of a I don't know, I don't want to say tender dynamic, but uh you know, that kid's still developing at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. And you're not you know, when you get to college, everybody's got some level of skill to some certain extent. And that was the big adjustment going from high school, college to high school is, you know, what do you mean you don't know what cover three means? <laughs> and when I was younger, that was that was hard to deal with. And now I've become a little bit older, you know, kind of got to bring them along. And you're more willing – the patience factor is much more uh, prevalent in high school than it is in college. In you know, college, you're trying to win games. and It's very important, you know, if you don't win – you know, you're probably going to be looking for a job where in high school I think it's more of a holistic approach and there's more of a developmental aspect of the whole person Where, and I've come to like that in high school or college it's pretty much straight football and we better get it done.
0: You've made the jump, it sounds like you've gone from college to high school then you've also gone from a high school back to college. Um, what's the more difficult jump in your opinion?
2: I would think the more difficult jump is college to high school Mm, because really because of those sensibilities. I really, I really do because, you know, it's just things are the work environment is so much different in high school. You deal with so much, many more people, you know, when you're in college football, your circle is pretty much the people that are in your, on your staff and the kids on your team. And, People in athletics, and that's about it. You don't, unless you're the academic coordinator, you don't deal much with the academic side. You know, it's it's pretty much it's a closed off environment, I guess you'd say, kind of insular. Whereas in high school, you know, you got kids, you know, kids in your class that don't play football. You got teachers in your department that couldn't care a thing about football, you know. Even at Kirkwood, as successful as we are, we have people we come on Monday. They have no idea whether we won the game or not. Right. That's just kind of way. Yeah, it's just kind of way it is. It's, there's just so many more personalities and people to deal with in high school and levels of development. You know, this kid's never played football, and you know, you don't get calls from parents <laughs> uh, in college. I, I mean, I've never had that, and. Then, I haven't had a ton of it in high school, but you know, so somebody's gonna call you know, oh, you said a swear word in front of my son. I don't like that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I won't let it happen again, or things like that. You know, just just aren't prevalent in college.
1: Bakes, I find that that interesting that you said that. I mean, and I think, of course, you're you're seeing more and more high school coaches go you know go the other direction and go to college you know, and I've heard you say it a couple times, you're talking about high school coaches who are extremely sharp and and can probably coach as good, if not better, than some of these other, you know, college coaches. Do you think it's because they've had to deal with, you know, different levels of kids and had to develop kids and and maybe had to hone their craft a little bit more than just going out, selling a kid on a program, and then recruiting the athlete that you need?
2: Uh, Absolutely. You know, I think our – Bryles or Chad Morris or one of those guys I'd read the article once and he said you know how I learned how to recruit was going down to the bus garage and I had to recruit those guys you know to be excited to take our team at like 6 in the morning to a JV game (laughs) and uh, you do have to hone your you know we're looking right now we're looking at changing some things in our defense because even as you know we have a lot of talent Kirkwood but you know, we can't recruit to our system. You yeah, know? so you we know, we gotta explore some new things, explore some new schemes, explore some new ways to teach things, and that's really, you know, really an adjustment. Really, you know, kind of going out and learning new things. Whereas, you know, you know how it is in college. You know, we're a four-three team, and that's what we do. And you know, I think we do what we do is way more prevalent in college than in high school, where well, all right. We don't have a three technique this year, so how are we gonna <laughs> what kind of are we gonna run?
1: Yeah, our our O line average is two fifteen. Okay. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to yeah. trap and pull a little bit, you know, and stuff like that. I I couldn't agree more. I mean I think, you know, a lot of these guys and, and you know, we've we've had a, a couple of conversation with coaches on it. You know, there's a lot of some of these maybe, you know, younger college coaches that maybe don't understand that. You know, they're kind of just hopping in and, and going into the big time. Whereas I think kind of working your way up the levels, you know, like you have, you know, Coach Harper getting his his ability to cut his teeth down at the high school level. You know, I cut my teeth even coaching some JV ball. I think it gives you a lot of perspective, and I think that stuff really, really gives you an appreciation for, for becoming a good head coach or a good position coach.
2: Yeah, you know, my advice to guys, if you want to go in this business, really – you should start out in the high school level or the small college level, you know, where you gotta wear all those hats, you got to do all kinds of things, because really it gives you a perspective on how a whole football program runs. You know, when I first came to Kirkwood, I was uh, the freshman head coach for a year, and then when, when our season was over, I went up and helped the defensive line in the playoffs. And but you know, Coach Shelton really made the point to me, it's like, man. I'm really entrusting you with that program, and this a great experience being head coach. And you know, I I learned as much that year about coaching as I have any other year in my life. Just you know, I'm com- I'm coming from college background, a 22 year old, and all of a sudden I got a 14 year old who can't get in the stance. How can I make this kid successful?
0: I think I think one of the biggest things I f- I figured out, and it was from playing college football, was I always always thought of these coaches as like. The best of the best. If you get to be a college coach, you're the best of the best. They're the, they're the, you know, the all-knowing. And then I got up to and played college football, and I had a bunch of different coaches, and there's about half of them that, that are worse than any high school coach I've ever been around. So, um, you know, there, there's good and bad coaches at all levels, and and uh, I think Walls has said it before, but, you know, guys go go search out those GAs that are actually willing to talk to you, and some of those guys are – are some of the smartest guys you could talk to? Or like you said, um, some of these coaches at the high school or a lot of these coaches at the high school level.
2: And, you know, Mike Leach has said that, you know, when they're going to look for offensive ideas, you know, they spend a lot of time watching high school tape. You know, because yes. uh, how am I, I going to win with uh, lesser, lesser talent? You know, finding that way to get the winning edge. You know, how do we train how, as, as far as offense, you know, how, what kind of past concepts. And I think that's why you see guys like Chad Morris, Art Briles. Those guys had to think outside the box to get those their programs to win.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, it seems to work the, the opposite way. I mean, you saw examples of it in the Super Bowl, you know, you being in the stadium. I mean, you know, heck, they're, they're running a ton of plays, RPOs that, that high schools have been running now, some of them for for almost a decade. So it's more of a trickle up effect than I think a a trickle, trickle down because, you know, a lot of us don't have these, these NFL type athletes. We got to figure out creative ways to, to get that done.
2: Yeah. Andy Reid said that in an article that I read probably about a month ago is like, he's like the colleges and the high schools are usually five years ahead of the NFL as far as scheming and things like that. So, you know, you saw the creative things that the chiefs did this year. Now Andy Reid's a great example of that guys studying you know so-called lower levels to get ideas for his offense
1: no doubt hey bake so you you were at the super bowl um you know you're really good buddies obviously with boyer you know being the the db corner coach for the for the patriots um you know describe that relationship a little bit you know maybe obviously you're not going to give any of the trade secrets and things like that but you know what what are some of the things that he says about working for a guy like bill belichick because i mean you know, all of our listeners, I think, probably have Bill Belichick on the short list of, you know, one of the best coaches of all time. So, you you, you got some pretty unique insight into that because usually he's a pretty guarded dude. So, I think our listeners would love to hear some of that.
2: I think, uh, you know, when Josh was first up there, it was challenging. It was, uh, you know, he said uh, being a quality control here is makes uh, – GA'ing looks like a part time job. <laughs> uh, to the point that uh you know, one time we're the tradition between us and the, the what eleven, twelve years been in New England, he always calls me when he's coming home or he always calls me later at night, like ten, eleven o'clock. Yep. One time we're on the phone, like he he fell asleep. And uh I'm like, Boy, boy and hung up and he's like calls me back about five minutes later, oh sorry dude, I fell asleep. And I remember that first year in new, uh, new in New England, you know, they play the Colts in the AFC championship game in Indianapolis. And I'm over I'm living in Ohio at the time, so I drive over and you know, we're in the hotel at night for the game and I look at them like, You all right, man? Like I haven't slept all week. So, you know, the uh Patriots do all their breakdowns by hand. And by hand I mean draw all 22 guys what movements did they make so you know he showed me some of that i'm like oh my god this is this makes you're right it makes drawing cards look like vacation (laughs) so really just that attention to detail and uh josh did that for two years and uh all that football they learned and got an opportunity gone as the the corner coach from there but you know just be able to survive that environment A lot of guys have come in and not survived or, you know, gone on to do something else. So the guys that you see there in New England now are guys who are able to survive, you know, being a quality control guy for two or three years and really gives you an appreciation for how detailed it is, you know, taking the time to do things right, you know, being efficient with your time. And also I think the other thing that Josh really comments on is, uh, you know, Bill challenges them to, uh, challenge him. I mean, you know, he doesn't want a yes, man. You know, he will, uh, Josh, if you watch the, uh, you know, Patriots, uh, do your job thing. The first, the, one of the first things is, uh, Josh up there, he's like, you know, you're sitting at a staff meeting and you're telling the first style Hall of Fame coach that he's screwed up. You know, it was funny, you know, that wasn't for TV. He's told that to me over the phone hundreds of times over the years. So, it's just interesting challenge, you know, the head coach, you know, being able to be challenged and his assistant coach, not afraid to challenge the status quo.
1: What are some of the things maybe you said about like, you know, you know personnel, uh, you know, I, I've heard a few things that, that Belichick said, you know, like later on in his career now, he you know, they ask him why he gets rid of guys or why he keeps certain guys. And, and I think the quote was something about like, you know, I, I want to coach guys that I like. You know, I'm, I've am i been in the game a long time. I'm I'm old. You know, I want to be able to coach dudes that I like. I mean, is that something that, that kind of permeates throughout the organization, too? So, I mean, it's got to be someone that, that Boyer likes in the secondary. You know, is that why he kind of rotates through some of these guys, or do you have any insight on that?
2: You know, i just say, not deep insight, but I will say that I don't think they put a lot of stock into the combine. Okay. Whereas, you know, they want to see tape, they want to see what are the guys, like, personality-wise, you know, and I think I think you said hit the nail right in the head, we want to coach guys that are Patriot guys, you know. And you're at the point in your career where you can he's Belichick and the rest of his guys, you know, you're going to, you're kind of coming into the Patriot organization, you're going to do it their way. But you're not going to be there long. And that's been proven throughout the years. Albert Hainsworth was an example of that. Randy Moss, you know, he was, was on the Oh you know, he was in the program for a while then kind of veered off and they got rid of him so you know there's a patriot way for sure and if you don't follow it you're not going to be there
1: gotcha what about uh what about with coach pease and i know coach pease has was a uh, was a guy i got to hear speak actually up at the uh, michigan clinic i don't i don't know if you were in there for that one or not rowdy but uh but but Coach Pease did a, a really good presentation, I thought, like on just like the, the fundamentals and simple things of of defense. It seemed like he could really break things down fundamentally and their defenses were always gonna be fundamentally sound. Is that some of the stuff that you kind of took away from him? You know, maybe you have tried to instill with, with your defensive coaching philosophy as well.
2: Yeah, he just he was always you know, talked about coaching eyes and landmarks and you know, and I was young at that point those were all things that you and know, probably never really heard but made a lot of sense and you know, he made he made that part of the game real easy for the guys just to be able to describe the details and describe the steps and <clears throat> of how to play football and you know I kind of took that with me from him
0: Walls was was he the guy that um he took like the whole the whole team and and showed them clips of if if the guys over here then you shed it a certain way and then he'd show them in practice and then he'd show clips of it in the game
1: yeah so he'd show you know he'd show where wherever the ball was was at so if the ball you know bent back they were supposed to go arm over and chase and then you know mm-hmm. it, if the ball was if the ball was same side you know they sh- they should be ripping so they could stay in their gap and then they'd work through pressure that way but he'd show all the, all the defensive guys did it. It didn't matter who it was. You know, safeties, corners, D-linemen, they'd all do the same drill. And then all of a sudden, he'd, he'd flip it over and he'd show the tape. Right, here's an example of the guy cutting back the zone. Boom, guy goes arm over, chases it down. Um, he, had a, he had another drill where you know, he goes, he the worst drill in defense. You know, like you and I hate the way that, that offense is run one-on-one pass pro. He says the worst drill that any defensive guy does is, uh, is the tip drill. He's like, we're, he's like, we're teaching these guys to, to, to not catch the ball. So he's like, this, that bothers me. So what they would do for a tip drill is they would actually intercept the ball, and then the guy would throw it up in the air after he picked it off. So it would act like a tip. So I'm like, oh, God, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> not sense. only are we working on, working on catching it, and then the ball doesn't go flying all over the place, but now I catch it, and I'm actually flipping the thing up, a nice easy toss for the guy to get used to catching one of those tip balls. So I'm like – you know, simple drills like that, it seems like defensive guys get to do all the cool stuff, Bakes. What's up with that?
2: You know, we're just creative, uh, thinking outside the box guys, you know. That's what we do in defense. We don't have to, you know, we don't have five spots where we got to line up every time, so. So, you know, that's, that's what true. we do on defense.
0: <laughs> no, that that was a good one, Walls. I I do remember that now. Um, but that that made sense to me too. Why, why would you practice not catching the ball and then um what was cool to me is, and I, I try to find that, and I try to do that with clinics that, that I ever would ever put on is, or show people film is actually show practice and then show the film of us using it because uh, nothing's worse than a coach that gets up there at a clinic or something and, and talks about, you know, and uh, all this they do in practice and they show it in practice and then they don't show you any film of them actually using it. So, um, or, they, or they show somebody else's film of somebody else using it. Yeah, here's what I would do. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. Wait, aren't you the coach?
0: <laughs> I've seen so many guys, you know, talk about whatever play, and then they show the the Patriots doing it. Like, yeah, that's, it was a good job by their coaches installing that.
2: <laughs> you know, and Coach P is the one I've always taken this, you know, don't be a drill player. You know, apply it to the game. I always thought that was great advice from him. I've always used that one.
1: Yeah be able to be able to carry it over. And he's like, and hopefully, you know, the, the drills that we are doing will carry over. It does. Like I said, I mean, it coached Pease and I knew, you know, I knew that he knew you. So I got a chance just to kind of say, what's up, you know, when we're there, but you know, I thought he did a fantastic job just because I always thought it was just stuff that you could actually take away and use. You're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Even though I'm an offensive guy, I'm like, you know, these simple drills that I designed, I should be able to carry all these things over into the game. So I thought he was phenomenal uh bakes you know know, one one thing about go for
2: it uh, one thing one thing about his background uh you know he started as a high school coach and he probably said that in his clinic talk
1: he did he was actually remember he almost uh he almost kind of teared up because he was talking about his son had just gotten a head job someplace as a high school coach as well and he thought that was the coolest thing ever
2: and he said yeah he at the Ohio state that year it says the same thing he's like he said really I owe my career to Ohio high school football you know playing high school football in this state being you know, a head high school coach and you know obviously Josh Boyer's dad is also a high school coach in Ohio and uh Daniels. he's given him his uh, no Josh Boyer's dad too yeah I
1: know Boyer's was and I say McDaniels too right
2: yeah. McDaniels' dad is a high school coach in Ohio too yep so uh you know, Dean's always been real good with uh, Josh's dad. He's like, hey, if I were a high school coach, still, this is something I would do. And, you know, really, he's seen the long view of the game. He knows, was a high school coach and a small college coach and the MAC and the Big Ten and a head coach in NFL. So that guy knows what he's talking about for sure and has a great perspective on the game.
1: Coach, you've talked about, you know, coaching in Ohio and coaching in Georgia, you know. How are places like that you think a little bit different than, you know, some of the other places, you know, obviously, you and I have been in some states where maybe high school football isn't, you know, king, you know, some other <laughs> sports that, that probably kind of take over. But why, you know, places like Georgia, places like Oklahoma, places like Ohio, what kind of sets those things apart? You know, we, we talked about uh, Texas football with one of our other guys, uh, Aaron, now, you know, you've been to some mm-hmm. of these places too. What's your take on why those places maybe are a notch above some of the others?
2: I think those places, you know, the towns and the state identify with football. You know, it's kind of the fabric. Their towns live and die on what the football team does. And that's, you know, in Ohio, I can speak to that from where I grew up. You know, part of that's Ohio State. You know, having the very prominent uh, football team in the state of the college be a great program. But, you know, a lot of it in northeast Ohio was, like, the steel mill towns, the working class towns, and football was a way out, one. Then uh, part of the community, a lot of those football teams in those towns started as, like, mill teams or, like, uh, factory teams. And that's kind of the evolution of Maslin and McKinley, how that started. So I think it's, you know, they identify with it and they become good at football because it's emphasized from an early age. You know, here in Missouri, especially the St. Louis area, there is not truly middle school football. I mean, there's like the Pee Wee teams, there's not a middle school football program attached to the school district. Whereas in Ohio, everybody starts playing in seventh grade in the school with coaches hired by the school district.
0: I always remember my dad. My dad was also is also a high school coach. That was growing up. That was the the one thing um, you know you always looked forward to was getting to finally play for for the high school or or um, play for your school. It's just kind of something. Um, being from Oklahoma, like you said, some of the other states just kind of in, ingrained from you since since birth. You look up to those guys at the high school level, and that, that's all – you can't wait till you get to go uh, be a part of something like that.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's just – it's really – that's uh, the fortunate thing about being – you know, I told Coach Shelton that when I took the job at Kirkwood, I'm like, this reminds me of being back home. It's important to our community. And I, I think on the whole, in states like Oklahoma, Ohio, Texas, Georgia, you know, that's really the thing that sets it apart. And that's not the case in every community here in Missouri.
1: So, Bake, you know, you've been to a bunch of these programs, and I know you're not going to call any of them out, but, you know, you've been in some winning places and you've been in some places maybe that didn't win as much. You know, what were some of the key attributes you thought, you know, of places that were really good? And then maybe what were some of the key attributes of places that probably needed to improve?
2: I think the places that were good – Really, the coaching staff was on the same page, and we're about kids. Gotcha. You know, what's going to make our kids successful? How are they going to be successful? Because a lot of times, you know, the coach thinks he's the reason, and uh, that's not the case. You know, Dennis Rates, the old Indiana State coach, told me this one. A lot more players make coaches than the other way around. So, No doubt. you got to remember that. Definitely think that and being organized and having a plan. <clears throat> yeah, the more organized you are, the more you know everybody's going in the same direction, the better off you're going to be. So, taking that time to plan it, you know, taking that time to communicate the same way. I always like Pete Carroll on the Seahawks, he always talked about no synonyms. You know, we're going to speak the same language. We're going to coach it the same way, not necessarily the same style as a coach. You know, every you coach your personality, but you know, coach it in the same method. If that makes any sense. Yeah,
1: you're all using the same words.
2: hmm So oh. those those are the things I've experienced in a successful program.
1: What about some of the ones that maybe weren't as successful? What were some of the the problem areas maybe you noticed? Would it kind of just be the opposite of those things then? Oh uh, communication
2: you know success really is predicated on communication more than anything else so whether it was a person who hadn't really been a leader before uh you know person you know sometimes there's head coaches that are better off not being head coaches and it's not a knock you know it's not yeah. for everybody but uh you know sometimes it takes some time to realize that and really uh the support from the school. You know what was the vision of the school of the football program? You know, do they just want to have football, just to have, you know, college football? You know, let's face it, there's small college football programs that have a football program to have male students.
1: Exactly. Yep. How many so, can we get there?
2: Yeah. You know, we'll fill as many beds as we can, and you know, whether you, if you win some games, that's that's nice a long line. You know, what's the commitment level from the administration? For you to be successful. Once again, that goes back to communication.
1: No doubt. Well, Bakes, I know again, you GA'd a bunch of spots too. Um, you, you've said you wouldn't trade it for the world. I know I wouldn't trade my, either of my GA experiences for the world. Um, you know, wh- for some of our listeners out there, I know we got a bunch of younger coaches that, that contact me, you know, wh- what do you think are some of the pros and cons of being a GA? And I think the cons will probably be pretty easy. But, you know, just talk a little bit about how how it helped your career and helped you kind of focus maybe on the the game of football and your goals within that game.
2: Yeah, being a GA more than anything, especially in a small school, you know, you learn how to work. That's the number one thing, you know. You're going to have to have a bunch of hats and balance a bunch of things. But really, you know, that's life. You know, I'm I'm a new parent now, so. I got to balance a bunch of things at home. I got to balance, you know, a bunch of things at school. But it's being able to work hard and push through things because it's not easy when you're sitting in there at three o'clock in the morning breaking down film. You know, heck, when I GA'd at Ken, you know, there was no huddle. So, you know, we did hand to hand tape exchanges. You know, you have to go to McDonald's parking lot in Huntington, West Virginia at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning after you've been up all night.
0: Jeez.
2: So there's a lot of. There's a lot of chewing tobacco and coffee to stay awake. (laughs) But, you know, you can't put a value on learning how to work as a GA. And, you you know, you're not making a lot of money doing it. So you're going to find out if you love football or not. That's that's for sure. Because you're probably going to be in an unfamiliar place, probably around people that are unfamiliar, that are probably not going to be very nice to you sometimes. And, uh, (laughs) man, you're just going to have to work through it. So... Coach, you know, it's not, a, not as glamorous as it seems sometimes, but it's definitely worth the experience.
0: Coach, you mentioned uh, you know, being a GA at a smaller school and getting to wear more hats than at a bigger school. So if you were talking to a coach that wanted to go, uh, was wanting to go be a GA, would you, would you push them towards going to a, a bigger Division I school if they had the opportunity? Or would you, would you say more go towards the smaller schools where they can you know, maybe have a, a bigger responsibility in the program?
2: I'd go towards a smaller school for the bigger responsibility
0: because,
2: you know, Coach Pease always used to say this. You know, the more responsibilities you take on, the better football coach you become. So he really encouraged us after we were done with our GA to go to a small school and learn how to do a bunch of different things. Hmm. You know, for, a lot of those guys jump from GA to GA to GA, even at big schools of quality control. Really, you're just learning how to do that.
1: Yeah, Whereas, they're not. You know, they're not actually. Yeah, they're not actually coaching because yeah. a lot of those big programs they got you know, you know basically they got what five or six analysts, some of them. So I mean, you're not really getting a chance to coach at all. So you're not really you I mean you're learning some ball, but you don't know how to teach any of it. Exactly, and you know you can't put a price on
2: wearing a lot of hats. And you know if you, the aspirations of D one are a great thing, but there's a finite amount of jobs, and you know that's just the reality of it and really it just comes down to you know networking and being in the right place at the right time but there's plenty of great small colleges and high schools out there to coach football at, you know you know it's kind of like frosty western said you know make the big time where you're at you know yeah to worrying about your next job
1: well harp you gonna ask him your line question?
0: Yeah, Coach, uh, we kind of, you know, we took a lot of your time, so we'll try to wrap it up. But uh, kind of the question I get to ask every coach is, um, you know, you've seen a lot of film, obviously, um, countless hours as a GA, I'm sure. But um, when, you, when you're watching an offensive line, when you get the chance to, or maybe when one just catches your eye, what, what's something that that offensive line would do that would uh, make you think really highly of their coach?
2: When they uh, come off the ball, especially at you, know, you run the power podcast, That's when you on right. the power and you're just saving people down, like, man, they're teaching something right. Because I'm, I'm a 160-pound offensive lineman at heart in a 240-pound body. Uh, <laughs> and I just love to, to see the aggressive, getting that down after it, you know, coming off the ball, low hats, and just getting after it. You know, how hard they play. Is an indicator to me of how good of a coach they are. And then, you know, you see good schemes and, you know, there's a lot of good schemes out there, but, you know, do they block through the whistle? Do they get after people? That's what it really was. Like, oh, the one I always thought of, the one that really sticks out to me, William Penn up there in Oskaloosa, Iowa. Hmm. We're playing them when I, we used to play them at McKendree, play them at Mobab. Man, those dudes, Running the triple option, got after it. I'm like we are in deep trouble playing <laughs> these guys.
0: It's fun. It's fun to win win games that way when you can really just start seeing a, a defense, you know, wearing down in the third and fourth quarter. It's uh, it's fun to win any game, any anyway. But when you kind of see your team dominating another team, it it makes it makes it a lot more enjoyable.
1: Yeah, you know that
2: William Penn film that stuck out to me. You know they're playing South Dakota, so that's a one aa team against the NAIA team. And and they were getting after him. So that, uh, I think highly of that program after watching that film.
1: Well, we've sent actually a couple offensive line up there from, uh, from Broken Arrow, Harp. Yeah. They loved him up there. Nick Jackson was one of them. He ended up starting as a freshman for him. But he loved it up there. Those guys get after people. There's no doubt about it. Good staff, man. Good group of guys. All right, Bakes, well, we're, we're hitting about an hour here, man. I know you're a, you're a busy dude, and we appreciate you coming on. I think you, uh, your, your experiences can, can speak to a lot of our listeners. I think uh, a lot of the, the guys out there maybe have aspirations of going to college or, you know, kind of bouncing around and doing some different things. So I think, uh, you know, you could bring a unique perspective to a lot of our listeners, man. appreciate you spending some time with us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys, man. Love talking ball with you guys. If I can never do anything to help anybody, you know. Let me know, and I'll get in touch. You know, get in touch with Walls, and if he can get in touch with me. And I'll do anything I can do to help anybody. Football is a great game and brings people together. And I'll do anybody anything to help anybody for football.
0: That's gonna do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank our sponsors, Health IQ, Audible, and Team Attack Academy. Go get your free quote at healthiq.com/runthepower. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at coach and Coach Walls at CoachBradyWalls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.